And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. Derek Van Riper here today with a special guest. Nick Pollock of the Pitcher List has kindly agreed to join me for this episode because... As I've said on a few episodes recently, it is difficult to find your friends who want to only talk about baseball once football season starts, but I knew Nick would be absolutely up for it as one of my friends who's not nearly as into football as anybody else, to put it mildly. Fancy football stupid, all right? (laughs) We sell that shirt and mug for a reason. Uh, I I don't understand. my, My guess is I, look, you make more money in fantasy football. That's fine. But search your heart. Do what you love. <laughs> it's baseball. We all know it. Yeah. I'm very happy to be here. Really, it's, it's an absolute honor to be part of the show, Derek. And yeah, I was saying right before this, I get a full hour with Derek. This is this is a dream come true. I feel like I have to live up to some very high expectations in the next hour. So I will do my best to, uh, to meet those. But I uh, just wanted to start with a, a simple question for anybody who hasn't either seen your work over at Pitcher List, followed you on Twitter at Pitcher List, or listened to your awesome podcasts. What is your entry point into fantasy baseball? How long have you loved playing this game and just the game as a whole? And you know what all do you do? Because some people are not familiar with who you are and what you're about. And I want to give you a chance to kind of share the background with everybody. Oh man, uh, yeah, I've loved baseball forever. I remember doing like. SI for kids, they had this little game of giving you like $10 and you had to purchase the players you wanted for the week. And I thought it was the coolest thing in like 97. Uh, but yeah, I've been playing obviously for ages, uh, doing drafts during my 20 minute break in school in seventh grade, which I don't understand how that happened. I just remember thinking, oh, I just want Aaron Boone because he had two home runs this week. <laughs> but uh, I, I pitched in college. Um, I then coached a travel baseball team and gave lessons as well. Um, and I remember in 2014, I just wanted gifts to show up. I wanted, like, I understood Fangraphs had the Renaissance in 2011, but I didn't think that people were truly understanding a pitcher through the spreadsheet, right? I had these friends that never really played and were talking to me in ways that I wasn't really, you know, I felt like there were missing elements to it. So I started pitcher gifts at the time. It's now pitcher list where you can actually visualize every single pitcher and what they throw. Like here's Justin Verlander's fastball and Scherzer's slider and Look at that amazing curveball from Clayton Kershaw, which we still have to our day. Our play pages have a GIF of every pitch, so you can actually visualize it. Um, and from there, I realized I should write something. So uh, I started doing the SB Roundup, which I cover uh, every single pitcher, every single night, uh, every starter, tell you how you should feel about your fantasy teams, all that fun stuff. I've been doing that since you know, really 2014. Um, I think I've missed one SP Roundup since the start of 2015. That was my sister's wedding. So uh, it's kind of wild. That's a lot of articles every single day. Um, I do the list every week. I do a Twitch stream every weekday morning, 9 to 11 a.m. as well. I call my office hours, just asking questions that you have. But yeah, I mean, 
That's Pitcher List, and I have all these amazing people that do everything else because I don't want to talk about a single thing except starting pitching. Well, you and your crew do great work. One thing that I think is impossible to avoid is the quality of the graphics you guys put together. Oh, my like, God. Because in, in a timeline, my timeline is total BS, this time of year especially. <laughs> it's gar- I mean, I follow way too many accounts. I used to have lists for, I'd, I had to cover you know baseball, football, basketball, hockey. I had minor league baseball follows, and I never really unfollowed all of those people. I still have a lot mm-hmm. of accounts that I'm not necessarily getting information from them that I need, but I'm just kind of too lazy to manage Twitter. So stuff that stands out in my timeline is always going to draw attention. I swear, every graphic you and your team make catches my eye. It doesn't matter oh, what it is or what the piece even connects to. That, that's like one of the most brilliant things about the brand that you've built. It's unbelievable. Um, first of all, you say you and your graphics team. No, I don't make any graphic in the slightest. <laughs> well, you don't pull the Eno. You don't. You don't have graphic design as a as a passion of yours that you make the I, make the graphics. I have. Okay, I have made a chart or two on like some sketch app that Twitch absolutely adores. Um, and I do have a passion of UX UI that I have a whole, I have a team that I'm working with now for PL7 that I, I just love so much. But no, this, I mean, this started with Justin Paradis. Um, he's our manager and really is an absolute legend on um, the amount of graphics he's done and really set the tone for the quality of them. And, uh, he, he manages a full team. Now we have so many talented people there. Quincy Dong, Michael Packer, J.R. Keynes, Ethan Kapler, uh, Justin Redler, Doug Carlin, um, uh, Aaron Polcare. I know I'm forgetting someone, but I mean, they're so good. And it, it's fun because I don't have a brand guide exactly. I say, just make whatever you want with this as long as it's good and readable. That's the only thing I say. If I can't read what it says, if I can't read the words on it, then you got to change that. You got to make it readable. But uh, they, oh my God, it's amazing. Like there, there's so many legendary ones. Uh, and Justin does um, with um, with Quincy and uh, and Aaron. They do the SP Roundup ones. So every single night when I'm writing my thing, they have an hour to put together that that uh, graphic for it. And I I never thought that I could live that life. You know, of actually saying, hey, I need this in an hour. <laughs> and they do it, and they've done it every single day this season. Uh, it's it's remarkable to say the least. Very impressive on a timetable like that to come up with something so unique as often as they do. Uh, so something that caught my eye recently, you did a Freddie Peralta breakdown. And mm. uh, video breakdowns are awesome because like 10 years ago, we didn't really have those. And yeah. I think of, of people I could watch do a pitching breakdown, you're right there. You're at the top of the list because you did it. Like You, you see things, you can explain things in a way that for someone like me who did not pitch... Uh, actually, I pitched in Little League, if that counts. It doesn't count. It totally counts. It doesn't count. It totally counts. I, I had about a 40-mile-an-hour fastball and had no <laughs> command, so I was just throwing BP up there. But the Freddie Peralta breakdown got me thinking about a few different things. Freddie specifically, this version of Freddie Peralta is probably better than any version of Freddie Peralta yeah. I could have even imagined when he debuted because he was a two-pitch guy. He was fastball Freddie, and he didn't have great command when he came into the league. So as I was watching the breakdown... And thinking about who he was just a few years ago when we first saw him, I, I couldn't imagine how he got from point A to point B. What do you see in that per, in that Freddie Peralta profile now that makes him so effective? Yeah, it, it's kind of weird, right? Uh, the fastball to me isn't so much different uh, than what it used to be because that was always what was really good about him, right? Uh, he would have a game of like eight innings and in domination. The next one would be like three and we just don't know what's going on. 
Um, the uh, the major difference this year, I mean, I would say it's two things. One is that new slider is ridiculous, and we've heard about that slider for a while. And I terribly made the uh, the point uh, in the preseason saying, look, Freddie Proth has always had wonky command with his fastball. How am I going to expect him to have good command with a new pitch, right? But then I forgot the second part, which was, oh, he has good fastball command now because he has rhythm throwing crossbody. And this is something that uh, I generally avoid with guys. Um, Andrew Heaney kind of deals with this problem a bit too as a sidewinder. Um, but I think of Jake Arrieta, Adam Adovino. Those guys had their peaks that were just the best. I mean, best reliever in baseball, Adam Adovino at times. Arrieta's 2015 season was unbelievable. That second half, what was it, like one earned run he allowed or something stupid. And they all threw cross body. What I mean by that is, well, Freddie is on the first base side of the rubber. And when he steps towards home, his, his foot lands not aligned with the first base side of the rubber, but instead the third base side. So you actually take his body, he's really directed behind the right-handed batter's box, and then he turns his whole body towards the plate, and it's essentially like a normal person throwing into the left-handed batter's box, which is not normal. It's not an easy thing to do, and it's harder for timing. And it's why if you're in rhythm with it, you can be so good because you add this extra deception. It's harder to pick up longer. You get some extra movement on it. But if you fall out of rhythm, it can go south quickly. And I have a worry long-term for Freddie Peralta because of that. I, I I know it's really hard to say like, oh, that's a season that you're just going to throw away and ignore him. It's uh, I, We've seen it before where it's gone that had that massive swing back and forth. So what's different this year is that his fastball is in the zone a ton. It's much more than it used to be. Um, and... And his slider is just really good. <laughs> it's really, it's, it's just it's another element to it. Not to mention, I mean, he always has had that excellent extension too that makes it even more deceptive when it's in the zone. But he's essentially forcing batters to actually do something instead of just be patient. And uh, that's a, you know, that's why he's able to do exactly what he does. Yeah, and Freddie, I think I saw it on the, the baseball savant page. It's like 7.2 on the extension. Like, it's, it's, it's way, it's ridiculous. way yeah. more than you'd expect for a pitcher his size. Like, he's, right. he's not... He doesn't look like a big pitcher. You expect that from Madison Bumgarner. You expect it from guys mm. that are are tall and have the long levers. Like clearly, there's uh, something going on there with Peralta too, with that delivery that adds that deception, like you mentioned. All all of those things added together have have really surprised me. I think the consistency thing is always going to worry me because one of the main flaws when he first broke in, he couldn't get through first innings sometimes, or yeah. he'd have like a forty pitch first inning and then he'd settle in. And he'd get through four, four and change, and that was it. I think a lot of those concerns have been eased. But yeah, I wonder from a, a keeper in dynasty perspective if if maybe this is the the apex of his value. Even if he's good for a long time, maybe this is the absolute best version we're going to see of him. I have to think so. I, I really do. It's uh, it doesn't go up from here, say for maybe more innings across the season. But again, for that for a guy that throws that much cross body and is. I mean, I call them Professor Chaos. You know, it was it was Denison Lamette. Now it's Freddie Peralta. <laughs> uh, of just you don't know where the ball is going to go, and uh, I think that's just such such a huge issue um, moving forward. Where you know you want someone that you feel like Brandon Witch, if you know he's going to have amazing command with that fastball, and I just I just don't know if I feel that same way uh, with Peralta. And just to give you an idea of like what that zone rate was, I just looked this up. I want to make sure forty four percent zone rate in twenty. 2020 for his fastball 56 percent in 2021 um and when you have a slider as well that's able to find the zone 40 percent of the time then and it's filthy (laughs) 
then you're going to have a lot more success than in the past. Yeah, definitely a big jump there. I think with Freddie, there's also kind of a longer term question. What would you need to see from a pitcher that will make you more inclined to buy in when they have a small arsenal? Because he was so fastball dependent. You could look at him and say, he's clearly a two pitch guy. And, you know, he has the slider working well. He still throws the occasional curve. He had that in the breakdown, mixes yeah, in some changeups cool. too. He's a four pitch guy now, even if he doesn't throw, you know, four pitches spread out right. almost evenly. He's certainly improved the arsenal, but what would make you more inclined to buy into a pitcher that relies so heavily on two pitches if you're looking at profiles? Yeah, so so there's a guy like Wasker Noah is a good example now. Um, Adbert Alzale earlier on too. Uh, it's the full-on fastball slider uh, approach. I mean, you can even say Ranger Suarez right now too mm-hmm. um, with fastball changer for him. But uh, I always say this, when it comes to a pitcher's arsenal, you need three things. You need a fastball that you can confidently put inside the zone. Sometimes that's the guy's cutter when it's more of like a, you know, just a fastball cutter side than a cutter slider side. Um, you know, Eno always complains about, about what is a cutter? <laughs> How do we define that? You know, it's such a, it's like the gray area pitch. Uh, but you need one, you need a fastball sinker, four seam or two seam, maybe a cutter that you can throw confidently in the zone to get strikes effectively and not get destroyed uh you need also a secondary pitch that you can get whiffs with and you need a secondary pitch that you can confidently throw in the zone for these guys oftentimes their slider is both of them yeah for Inoa, he can throw that in the zone and he can throw it out of the zone and get whiffs on it uh and that's the big difference uh to me between a uh two pitch and a three and a three pitch guy is is he able to do both things with that slider and also, how consistent is that slider? The real reason we like deep artists arsenals is when something isn't working, there is a backup plan, right? And and sometimes, I mean, Inoa has just been like, all right, I'm just going to throw 96, 97. I'm going to fight through this. And sometimes that, that's actually okay. That's not the worst backup plan ever. But that's that's really where my head goes is, uh, you know, think of it like with Gaussman without his splitter, the backup plan is a slider and it's not a good one. Right. We've seen that, some problems that's in the, the second issue. half for him. Exactly. So that that's really depth is an issue in that way. But when you see a guy just always have a slider and it's always working, I feel a little bit more confident trusting that two pitch guy. Yeah. And I think the, the interesting thing here is there's kind of a transition to some second half uh, pitchers of, of interest. I would say one surprise has been how effective Blake Snell has been oh, shortening yeah. up the arsenal. Like that is unbelievable to me because previously I thought, hey, there, there might be a case for him to be a consistent guy that goes three times through the order. The arsenal was deep enough where you could kind of talk yourself into it because he had those extra weapons that he could turn to, give hitters different looks, and he's better right now with two pitches than he was at any other point this season. How sustainable is that for Blake <laughs> Snell? Like, how, how much do you believe that this can be a long-term solution for him or do you see him as a guy that's clearly going to go into this winter regardless of what happens and say i'm tinkering i'm going back into the lab and i'm going to come back with a third or a fourth pitch that i can trust again oh i don't even suggest don't even like the outside chance that he hears that i uh, don't even mention it don't put it out into the world uh no the, the major thing that i i've always said about blake's now that's always like bothered me is back in 2018 when he had that amazing cy young run I think the number one stat that you should focus on is a 38% zone rate on the slider. 
2019-2020, both of those were underneath 30%. I mean, it's 29.9% in 2019, but you get the point. It's worse. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Down all the way to 23% in 2020. However, because he's changing this now, he's going fastball slider. He's saying, my stuff is so good, I'll just throw it in the zone now. That's up to 39% again for his zone rate. Uh, slider actually even slightly higher than it was in 2018. That's huge. It's the same thing we we're just talking about about two pitch pitcher. If you can throw that for a strike and effectively and not get beat by a 164 batting average allowed on those sliders for Blake Snell, that's everything. And I really, really do hope that he just understands that this has worked and I'm not going to go back to that curveball that changeup. He has actually thrown some curveballs in there, which isn't the worst thing ever, but at least the changeup is gone. I never liked that changeup. It's had decent results, but I've always felt he's nibbled with it. It's never been, um, he's never really been a fastball changeup approach kind of guy. It's always been like, I'm going to try to do my best with my fastball. Okay, here's a surprise with the changeup, but never, I'm going to spot my fastball in one place and then the changeup goes underneath it. You know, I, a lot more so with the slider and curveball. And I, I mean, I'm excited for this. I, I'm excited that he's just, he's just saying I'm done with being a pitcher and my stuff is so good here. Do something with us and no one can do anything. Uh, you know, he's gone from having the Blake Snell blueprint, as I would call it to now it's the Robbie Ray blueprint, which I think is pretty hilarious. I, uh, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. It's good. I think it's somewhat sustainable. Um, I am more worried about his health, honestly, than anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's always been an issue with Blake Snell. He, I mean, he just now has a groin strain too. And I do wonder, I mean, I'm terrible at this, Derek. I'm so bad at predicting next year's ADP. <laughs> I'm so in my own world and bubble of this stuff. Because I can imagine people like, oh, it's Blake Snell. He's back. And he had an amazing second half. Kind of like how everyone jumped on Jack Flaherty all of a sudden, right? Mm-hmm. But, I, I mean, we all in the moment are thinking he's in rhythm. And we don't really compare him to a top 10 guy at the moment, but he's been acting like one, but we don't forget the first half. I imagine he's going to be around like 22 or something like that. And considering how much amazing talent there is as starters starting pitching next year, I'm probably going to be out, but uh, we'll see. I have, I have no idea. I mean, where, where do you think he's going to land? I kind of think it's the 60 to 80 range overall. Big okay. range to start. I think he starts 75 to 80 and trends up because pitching always kind of rises over the course of draft season. Some guys get hurt. People find reasons to like guys. If the Padres go out and make a few more moves and and try and make another run at it, which they probably should, there might be some buzz about them being good. They're probably going to have a new pitching coach. Like There's going to be a lot of narrative-based things around Snell in addition to the the second half being good. I I think people are going to treat him like a a mid-range or maybe even a slightly low-end SP2. He's not going to be your first pitcher. Do you like That's, him there? That sounds about right of where... Yeah, so so I think we're aligned with like the 20 to 25 SP is where the, the ADP will land on him. Uh, mm-hmm. I always I never think of overall terms. Cardboard cutouts are hitters, remember. <laughs> I, I All I care about <laughs> are our starting pitchers. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I'm probably not going to do it. I don't know. Uh, like, okay, Sandy Alcantara is going to be way high, way higher than Blake Snell at this point, right? Yep, for sure. I, I mean, oh, there's my boy. He's... Oh. Sandy, I've I've held back so many tweets that's just Sandy Alcantara fan account stuff. <laughs> it's I've been like Nick, no, no, no good has ever happened because of this. Like shouting Sandy just in caps in the fourth inning because who knows what happens in the fifth and sixth. 
but I, I love him so much. And you know, I think he's kind of an example of, of a guy like now he's going to be in the top 15. I, I mean, part of me, it's like, he should be like at nine or something, but let's, you know, let's just say it's top 15. Like Snell and Bla- and Alcantara to me are a major gap. And there are so many guys like Wasker Noah is a really good example. Like, would you rather have Blake Snell or Wasker Noah next year? I think, you know, has been absurdly consistent and there's there's a there are so many guys like in Noah out there right now um, that like it just makes this whole giant SP2 land SP2 and SP3s galore that I feel like Snell has a little bit more risk than a lot of the other ones. I uh, so because we just don't know. Yeah, the injury. We don't know if this is going to be him forever now. So I'm, I'm probably going to be out on Blake Snell. I think there are going to be other pitchers I like more in that range. So yeah. I, I could see, let's say I'm drafting 10 teams next year. I could see Snell being on one or two just because of the way things fall on the board. But I think that means that's an appropriate price and not necessarily one where I feel like I'm getting great value. Sure. Because um, he's, he's done it before. And again, if he's healthy going through the offseason, I'll I'll probably be in at the back end of that price. I could see him being a guy I get early in draft season who I don't get when the price rises too. That, mm-hmm. That's happened plenty of times Um, we should talk about Nathan Evaldi because I would say from a second half surprise perspective the surprise for me is that he's healthy I had him underranked throughout draft season clearly a guy that I missed on it's just multiple arm injuries for him very significant arm injuries if you can get beyond that do you see him holding the strikeout rate gains that he's shown us going back to the shortened season and you know being anything close to as effective as he has been for the last year and change over 150 plus innings in 2022 because he based on what he's doing should probably go ahead of Blake Snell in drafts. I don't think he will because of the concerns that I have about the health and other people have about the health. Where do you fall on Evaldi and the success he's having? Yeah. So I I'm, I'm like you, I completely missed on this one. Um, I, I think less so the health concerns and more so that he's had this really hard fastball that he is not being able to compliment for years. Uh, it, it's just been a struggle. What is it going to be? Curveball, slider, splitter, cutter? Like, what? what is it? And mm-hmm. some years we've seen the cutter uh, be a good compliment where he has a fastball that goes up and the cutter that falls down in. He's able to surprise a lot of guys with that. But this year it's really been that curveball that has a 40% CSW this season, which is absurdly good. Uh, we're talking normally around 30% and change, low 30s for them. And to see Eovaldi have a legitimate secondary pitch, that not only gets whiffs, but we're talking a 25% called strike rate. That's so, so good uh, for a curveball. And I, I I don't know if I buy into that for next year. I mean, that that's really the biggest concern. He did have it pretty much the same way in 2020, um, but only threw it about 17% of the time. We've seen the usage go up a bit in the second half uh, with the curveball. And that's really propelled him a lot. Uh, it, it's been such a journey for him to get to this point. That it makes me hesitant to believe that I uh, that he has this new entity that is going to stick around, which I don't know if that's good logic at all. Like you think, like oh, he found the thing, and now he's going to use the thing all the time. Um, I mean, your injury concerns are are still a thing. Doesn't mean that after one year he's removed from it completely either. Uh, but yeah, he's part of this massive conglomerate of of great pitchers. Um, Logan Webb comes to mind too. Cal Quantrill. That I'm going to avoid across the board. <laughs> ah, see, I I think I like Logan Webb. I think Quantrill's mm. an easy pass for me. I, okay, I think people are going to be geeked about Cleveland's pitching development in the past and sure. pedigree maybe factors in. 
I get it. There are soft landing spots. There still aren't that many strikeouts from Cal Quantrill. He's got a sub 20% K rate for the season. Yeah. I don't want to overpay for guys that can't miss bats at an elevated clip. But the reason I like Logan Webb, I think this is the Giants Dallas Keuchel sort of development story, right? You think back to the the early part of the Astros becoming good. Obviously, Webb is a righty. Keuchel is a lefty. Thank you, I know. But <laughs> it, it's a power pitcher who gets a lot of ground balls, right? It, it's just mm. this, it, it's it's a profile that I believe in, right? He's cut the walk rate. He misses enough bats. He's in a still pitcher-friendly park, even though it's not as pitcher-friendly as it was a few years ago. They've made some changes at Oracle. I think he can be an extreme ground baller. I mean, I think there is enough here from Logan Webb if we're going to cluster all those guys together and say, yeah, they're all going to go kind of in that pick 80 range. I don't think Quantrill gets quite that high, but if if people are really like glued to the recency bias and they're putting Webb with Evaldi and Snell. Logan Webb and like you're saying like the top 30 starters then. Yeah, probably back in the top 30 among starters. Not a chance for me. Really? Uh, So what don't you like about him? Well, I don't like his face. No, I'm just kidding. You're awesome, <laughs> Logan. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I'm okay. So you remember the preseason? <clears throat> we were we were really excited about Logan Webb, and the reason was because his changeup was filthy. This was like, oh my god. Okay, Logan Webb, we knew him from last year. Kind of was a Toby, someone who like hey, got some ground balls and really had that strikeout upside. Sometimes the slider showed up, sometimes not. And we're like, all right, yeah, he's a guy, you know. I uh, but then the changeup was showing up in spring training. Like, oh man, if he has that changeup, then all of a sudden he's interesting. And I can get strikeouts and stuff. And what's kind of funny is that he wasn't good at first. When when on the IL came back and really it hasn't been the changeup that's been soaring. It's the slider, and paired with fastball command that I think is an exception. I uh, Logan Webb is certainly a slinger. He's the web slinger. Uh, so you can even say he would be the Spider-Man, which actually is a term of mine because that's the number one Toby of the year, Toby McGuire. It's fine. I'm in my own world. Over it's all it, related. These things. Yeah. yeah. And Toby <laughs> refers to Toby Flenderson from The Office yeah. if you're not familiar with, with Nick's lingo. Yeah. Essentially a guy that gets the work done, but you don't really like that he's there. Uh, so uh, this is the picture list verse, by the way. Uh, come on by. We have so many different extended cinematic universes. No. But with Logan Webb, the web slinger. He does have such a long, low arm angle. And if you see his pitches, it comes out differently than anyone else's. You can really see the humps to everything. The, the, uh, I don't know what else to call it. It feels like a bumpy road almost, just seeing it. Um, I can feel the, like, I can almost hear him say, yuck, as he throws it, you know? <laughs> like he's skipping a stone. And I, I've seen those kind of guys before. And it does not last. That command does not last of a two-seamer. And uh, he's having it right now. We actually saw in his last start, he threw far too many sinkers in the middle of the plate. And he allowed a lot of hits on pitches in the middle of the plate of of these sinkers. I think that's going to be an issue for him. Uh, Kind of like I was talking about with Peralta um, and and Adovino and Arrieta and, and such. He's in rhythm right now. The, the winter is a long wall. It is a giant wall of destruction for those in <laughs> rhythm. And it's really hard to climb it and get out being exactly the same guy that you are. So if he's going top 30, I mean, no, I, I can't I can't buy into that. I, I do think he's going to help you next year. And he should down the stretch. But honestly, I mean, these next couple of starts are going to make or break some of these guys for next year's drafts. 
You know, if Webb is showing the next two, three starts that he doesn't have the same command, I'm going to be like Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen. You know, just saying, there it is! <laughs> that's it! You know, that, and that, that's uh, that's the worry I have for Webb. And same thing with the Evaldi. I mean, if he has that curveball through the end of the year, I, I think I'm more inclined to think that he can be beneficial through the season uh, and next season. But it's, I don't know, there's, there's, so, there's so many guys to chase. And uh, I don't think that those are the ones that I would necessarily run for. Man, that 39.1% called strikes and whiffs on the slider is just... So good. Oh, It's, it's really good right now, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if he'll keep tinkering, too, if he'll add something else to the mix. Uh, so, all right, so we're split on well, Logan Webb. I'm really curious where the ADP goes on there. I feel like it's a more difficult one to project. See, I think I Evaldi no and idea. Snell are easier to predict. Right. I think like Webb, sh- Webb should be like the 40th. Like the 35th to 40th. 40th. So that would put him probably in the 125 to 150 are, overall range, probably. There are so many guys. Like Justin Verlander is coming back. Oh, hey, right. Forgot about him. Noah Syndergaard's back and healthy, uh, assumingly. Uh, Severino, maybe. too. <laughs> Severino as well. There's Shane Bieber. There's Jack Flaherty, who's just, of course, like fallen off because he got hurt, too. There's a lot, of, a lot more that I should be looking at my fringe table of the list that uh, it, it's just there's so many amazingly talented guys uh, that, yeah, I don't know. I feel like the ceiling is a lot more capped. Like we're not going to see this run again from Logan. Webb. We're not going to see this run again from Nathan Evaldi and how far back they go. I don't know. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The other guy that I think people are genuinely not sure about is Robbie Ray. Like, If, mm. if you look at it from a pure statistical standpoint, I think he's thrown enough innings this season where you're supposed to believe that he owns this new control. And I kind of understand where that's coming from. But at the same time, I could see Ray being more expensive than any of these other pitchers that we're talking about. I could see him easily push a top 40 to 50 range ADP. People ranking him probably in their top 15s among starting pitchers going into 2022 would be what I would expect with what he's done, he's always brought K's. Even when he's been all over the place, he'd get you a ton of K's. So you kind of feel like there's a good floor there. We don't know where he's going to pitch, right? He's on a one-year deal in Toronto. There's some pretty interesting questions. Like if you were in the room for a, a major league front office, every team needs pitching, it seems like. Are you in at four for 80 or more on Robbie Ray this winter based on what he's doing? Because if you'd never seen any other version of Robbie Ray, you might be really excited about this one, but because you've seen Robbie Ray 1.0, 2.0, and 3.0, which are all kind of the same, it makes you less excited about, let's call it Robbie Ray 4.0. Yeah, I understand that a lot. I I would ask him, I'd be like, hey, Robbie, 
Do you feel comfortable that you could throw strikes at a 70% rate again with your fastball? Because that would be great. That that like, Did you feel like you did something mentally different? Or are you just saying, no, I just feel really good with my fastball? Right? I, I need to... I, it looks like it from his strike zone plot. Like he just said, I don't really care. I'm going to throw this in the zone 60% of the time as opposed to the 49% from 2020. Or the uh, 52 from 2019. Right, that's the difference. If you want to know, like, what was going on with Robbie Ray, that's it. Oh, and not to mention, of course, now he's throwing 95 as opposed to 92.4 and 93.7 in the past two years, right? Like, clearly, you throw harder and you throw more strikes with it, you get success if you're Robbie Ray. It was actually kind of funny. The beginning of the year when he, uh, the first two starts, he wasn't doing that. Then you saw a strike zone plot and it was just so much red in the zone suddenly. But his slider wasn't good. And it still worked. And I remember writing about it being like, ah, this is really cool. And I, if he actually gets a slider back, like even better than this. And he had like seven strikeouts and one earned run in six innings. It was like, it was this uh, weird moment of, hey guys, Robbie Ray, he's, he's really good again. I was like, ah, oh, come on, Nick. We all know X, Y, and Z. I know, I know, but this is strange. And I'm really happy that he's able to actually keep this up. But it makes sense. It really makes sense at the end. I mean, as a pitcher, you go through moments of um, of where you feel confident in your stuff or you don't. What I mean by that is you're going to be nibbling around the zone because you don't feel that uh, a fastball down the middle will get a guy out. You feel like your stuff isn't that good. So you have to hit the edges all the time. And what that leads to is what we say nibbling. Zach Allen goes through this a little bit too. Um you know, Snell certainly did. Uh, you see the scatter plot around the edges. And it's actually kind of why I don't really talk about Shadow Zone much. Because sometimes that hurts. When you try to go after that too often, it does lead to fewer pitches ultimately in the zone. Uh, which then allows for deeper at-bats. And then you're not being efficient. Uh, you're not getting as many strikes as you want. Uh, and it's really nice. Like, the guys that have the greatest Shadow Zones, like, well, fine. Then, okay. Then that's just you know how to do that and I'm not worried about you. But the other guys like Robbie Ray where it's just like massively stuff based. Yeah, just throw strikes, man. And I'm really happy that he did. I don't know if he's going to keep doing this, but I feel more confident in Robbie Ray's success than I do say Freddie Peralta or Logan Webb or Evaldi because this is really a root of like, yeah, he's just throwing strikes and his stuff is pretty much the same save for the one uptick in velocity on his fastball, but the slider is the same pitch it always was. Um, and he's just dominating with it, and I feel a lot. Of, well, yeah, I feel a lot more strongly about it. It's interesting because I, if, like, if he's the most expensive of these pitchers, or if he's in like the Peralta tier again, top forty, top fifty overall, I think I'm out. Even though I run the risk of getting Corbin Burns, maybe in a different way, where <laughs> I just think like I, with Burns, oh, yeah, I, thought, I was out too. <laughs> I just thought we saw the best of him. Like there was no yeah. way he could get better, and now it's like, is he Degrom? And that's sort <laughs> of like an actual conversation that people could have. Uh, but with Ray, he doesn't have as deep of an arsenal. I, I don't. I'm I'm less worried about it happening because it's such a heavy dependence on that fastball and slider. I do wonder if the velocity holds. If he ends up in a really pitcher-friendly environment, maybe I'm in in the 40 to 50 range. But I'd say more likely than not, I'm consistently out on Ray at the inflated price. It it is kind of funny. Um, Corbin Burns, you mentioned him really quickly. Uh, I mean, he just throws really a cutter. Uh, that is just like just stupid. It's like the Lance Lynn method almost. Um, but he also has a slider that I think has like a 25 to 30% swing strike rate. 
that he throws like 10% of the time. He just doesn't throw it because yeah. he doesn't have to. And that's that's a difference I think that you're making of yeah, yeah, Corbin Burns throws like one pitch all the time. It's not as much depth, but he just chooses not to do it. Just like Jacob Degrom throws a fastball and a slider, and his curveball would be the number two pitch for any other pitcher in baseball. But it's just not worth it because his fastball and slider are that good. Um, yeah, I, I totally get that argument with Ray. I don't know if I'm going to be actually one of the higher guys on him. I I believe more in Sandy Alcantara, for example, for next year. I think that's just the foundation is so absurdly strong uh, with what Alcantara is doing. But, I mean, I haven't made this yet. I'm making it in three weeks. No idea what it's going to be. <laughs> uh, but, it, I mean, I will certainly say that Robbie Ray, top 15 easily uh, for me next year. I believe more in his ascension than I do, say, Carlos Rodon's, which was so heavily reliant on velocity. And he couldn't even take it this year. Robbie Ray at least has, you know, 177 innings underneath him right now with no signs of slowing down with that. And that does make me feel better. Yeah, I'm genuinely worried about Rodon's health in particular. I, yeah. I can't go anywhere near him. It should be a significantly inflated price. I, it's a great story. I'm I'm happy for him that he's back and, and relevant again for fantasy purposes and you might have some important innings for the White Sox in the postseason but totally out there uh, sticking in the AL Central Tristan McKenzie he has turned it around in a big way I liked him coming into the year I couldn't see it through I mean when he got demoted that was pretty much the last straw and there were plenty of bumpy starts in the first half before that so if you were playing in a 10 or a 12 team league especially it was really difficult to hold him up until that point What's the difference? What do you see now from McKenzie that we weren't seeing back at the beginning of the season? And how much do you trust that he's taken a true step forward that he can sustain going into next season? It is kind of crazy, right? We're talking five straight games, four and runs total. I, uh, I mean, what? I, I remember actually uh, your your colleague Jake Seeley uh, doing a mailbag, and he did me a, a solid uh, asking me like, "Hey, I got a Tristan McKenzie question. You can you answer for me." on the athletic I was like oh my god this is amazing this is great so someone was asking like hey do I hold on to McKenzie I think this was like the first week of May or something and I said yeah I know he's gonna figure it out over time he has enough skill set like you know it's gonna be worth your while and all I can think about for the next two months as McKenzie was just horrific <laughs> was this is the moment I had and that's what I said you know it, it was that bad but I mean this is what we were waiting for and that's essentially fastballs that are competitive um i think he still has a little bit of a command issue with that four seamer uh, but at the least they're better they're more around the zone and with the intent of elevation while we see curveballs and sliders that are much much better uh underneath and at the bottom of the zone we're talking 20 percent swing strike rate on the slider and 19.4 on the curveball so might as well be 20 percent too and having those two pitches down with a fastball that i think is deceptively overpowering um, it's 92 and change. He's actually pushing that to 93, even maybe even 94 rarely these days. Um, but McKenzie's uh, pairing that well with the with the breaking balls. And as long as he can get those strikes effectively with the fastball, which he's getting, uh, those those breakers are doing damage. Um, uh, it, it's, it's much better. Uh, I think that we're going to see a lot more uh, turmoil over the years. Uh, there's still command stuff to figure out. And especially... I mean, we, we all know how Tristan McKenzie looks. Essentially, me in ninth grade when I grew to be <laughs> six foot three all of a sudden in the summer. 
Uh, I weighed something like 150 or whatever. Once it was bad, it was very bad. <laughs> and I, I, I get it. But Tristan isn't going to stay that way. We know this. He's in the majors now. They're going to put him on some program to fill out in some way. And hopefully, I and mean, generally when you hear that, it speaks to more consistency with stuff. Um, but I, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know yet that maybe he's going to affect him. He's going to be a different person. He's going to feel differently. And that might, you know, might steer him in a different direction. We don't know yet. I, uh, as far as next year goes, he's an interesting flyer. Um, he could be a hipster, though. And what I mean by that is, he he could be someone who you you hold on in the beginning of the year and he's struggling. You don't know if it's worth it or not. I don't think you'll get a clean answer on Tristan McKenzie is going to be beneficial for 2022 in April. You, we just won't know. The same way that it was in 2021 where he was terrible. I mean, look at the second half, right? Uh, and I I try to avoid guys like that sometimes uh, because I can get sucked in and then I can miss out on all of the amazing pickups you can make in April and May. So I'm a little torn if I'm going to be chasing McKenzie. And again, I don't know where ADP is going to land. They might be pushing him up because he's in Cleveland. So I might be out on it. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't imagine he would have a a later ADP than Cal Quantrill, right? McKenzie has to go before Quantrill. He's, to <laughs> me, he's clearly know, better. People are weird. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I also, I don't know if you remember this, like three years ago, I'm sure you do, um, Derek Rodriguez existed, right? He was a thing. And he, he had like a 3-5 ERA in the entirety of the season, undrafted in the next year, right? I never know which of these players people are going to actually hold on to uh, for the next year. And I feel like Quantrill, everyone's going to be like, come on, Quantrill is better than Derek Rodriguez. And I would agree with that. But you never know. Yeah, he's more like Derek Rodriguez than you want to believe. Like yeah, that's, there you that's go. That's the <laughs> takeaway for me. But I'll say, let's put the ADP for Tristan McKenzie, at least to begin draft season. We're talking about the, the early draft champions leagues and the drafts that maybe start up in January and February. Let's say pick 140 for Tristan McKenzie. I'm in there because that's probably your third or fourth starting pitcher. I think there's enough floor, there are enough weapons to three-pitch arsenal. The command's getting better. This is going back to July 9th now. His second half, 68 Ks against 11 walks in 67 innings. Eight homers. A lot of soft landing spots in the AL Central. That's probably not going to change overnight going the next season either. I'm, I'm buying these gains as mostly real. I could see him being, the hipster description is perfect, but I'm also the kind of person that will wander into a place and buy a $6 coffee and convince myself that it was a great deal and I would have paid eight for it. So, but McKenzie, I think is legit. I I think there's a chance that he actually ends up finishing as like your second best pitcher on a good staff next year. And you can get him for less than that. Uh, Yeah. I, I, okay. So, so I'm, I'm looking to now at uh, the last edition of the list that I did with like the proper one, which is the end of August, like the top 100 starters every week. And I, I okay, so I had ten. There's ten guys on the on the fringe list that are clearly going to be ahead of McKenzie that were injured at the time, including like Pablo Lopez and Denilson the Met. And I, I would say Denilson the Met over McKenzie personally. Hmm. But yeah, maybe I, not. Yeah, I don't know. That's weird. Is. That's a weird one. Okay, Lamette's, I'm just where yeah. Lamette is sort of where I was with Evaldi entering this season, mm. where the the combination of injuries is so great that I just I'll underrank him and miss out. And sure. If he's healthy, I lose. If he's broken, I'm like sad to be right. So, so okay. So there's a difference. Like draft champions is different for me than it is like a 12 teamer. 
because the 12 teamer then Dillson Lamette won't hurt me. I don't feel the risk of hit, putting him in my lineup as opposed to McKenzie. Literally, I mean, not not literally hurt me. I'm sorry. He's a wonderful man. I <laughs> uh, I mean, he actually could you know have a bad start and actually did put you know put a dent in, in my ratios. So I would feel better about that taking that flyer then because then the flyer is on health as opposed to am I going to start him or not? Um, and I try as much as I can to remove any headaches from my teams as much as possible. If it's a headache, I don't want anything to do with it. I that that also means. I'm a hypocrite because I'm saying hold on to Charlie Morton and Luis Castillo in the beginning of the year. But anyway, I, I'm looking at this list now and I'm seeing about uh, about 50 guys probably that I would be drafting higher than McKenzie next year. Um, including, say, like Zach Gallen is a good example for me of someone who's probably not going to get the, the, the fanfare that he has in the past. But... I would feel much better and more confident in Zach Allen early in the season than I would Tristan McKenzie, right? And he's, he's I don't know where he's going to land, but he probably will be around that same area too, around 140. Uh, or you can think of like Ian Anderson or Sean Manaya, right? Manaya having this increased velocity this year. He's been a little bit back and forth now, but I mean, he was a top 15 guy for a moment. Um, and Ian Anderson now has a, a new curveball that I cannot wait to see today. And I hope, hope it's there. Because if that's still, again, like Trevor Rogers showed up, by the way, or Sonny Gray and Tywin Walker's throwing 95 and being a lot more consistent than than McKenzie. Tarek Skubal won't be limited. I feel more confident in Tarek Skubal's ability with his fastball and his change and slider than I do Tristan McKenzie and his volatility. So there's there's a lot of this going around. Um, and 140, I guess my hesitation with 140 is because I think there are like 20 guys that could take a 140. So I just wanted to think of them all as 180, right? That's a fun part of the draft for pitching yeah. every single year because so you can good. find the next ace or you can fall on your face and get a, a Nick Pavetta. Like Philly Nick Pavetta was always going oh, in that man. range. Don't right? bring him into this. Don't you dare. <laughs> I won't go down that no, rabbit hole. I, I love the question every year, who is this year's Nick Pavetta? And I always get it wrong. Always oh, I mean, get it it's wrong. It's almost impossible. Like, I always get it wrong. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Do you think it's easier to find a breakout or is it easier to find a bust for you? Ooh, preseason or in season? Preseason. I think it's easier to find a bust. Really? I always yeah. think it's easier to find a breakout. I, I think attrition is always harder for me to predict because I, like my mind doesn't want to. I don't, I don't want to put that on a player. I don't want to put failure on a player. So I, 
I give myself reasons to not think they're going to be as bad as they could be. So, I'll talk myself out of it. So here's the thing. I'm, I'm a verse of like, I love so many pitchers that I can get blind to it. Oh, okay. uh, and I can, I can see the good of it. So it's harder for me to, um, you know, I, I, I see the potential and I sometimes can get too wrapped up into that. But there are times I can say, all right, yeah, I'm, I'm avoiding that guy. That, that one's not for me in the slightest because of X, Y, and Z. And it's just not uh, the, the kind of person I want to go for, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, both are hard. <laughs> I mean, it's also kind of funny because this year in particular was the hardest year for anybody. Uh, we had 2020 to work with. And I even started my top 200 starting pitchers thing with about three paragraphs. And I think I started with this is impossible. <laughs> So, you know, I, I think you're the same way. We're comparing ourselves more, mostly to this season. And also, I mean, 2020 wasn't easy either with two months, you know, uh, going into that one. So we've been primed lately to think this is the hardest thing ever, which it has been. And I imagine we'll be a little bit better just across the board, Derek, in 2022. Oh, probably a little more accurate uh, overall. Um, let's, let's try this. Uh, let's, let's look into that 2022 crystal ball the way too early let's just oh say God. top five starting pitchers for you <laughs> narrow it down to your top five okay for next season if you're drafting right now zola and i todd zola was on the show last week we're drafting a week from sunday we have a league that's going to start for 2022 so who is atop your pitching board if you're drafting for next season at least right now okay uh i think it has to be one ah this this stinks. <laughs> it's already at one. He's like, ah. Usually, well, the, usually the first one is easy because oh, I know. But well, well, it should be. But mm-hmm. I don't think anyone here is going to say that Degrom is going to throw the most innings next year. You know, no that. one, no one will say, no one will project or say that they expect him to lead the league in innings or even right. lead the NL in innings. And it's the worst. It's the it's it's the Kershaw problem we had like three years ago. You know, of just it's Kershaw, but how many innings are you going to get? And it's just. Ah, it, predicting innings and pitch counts, I think, to me, is the most frustrating part of fantasy. It's not even the in- injuries. It's just inside of games, even. Mm-hmm. Like, for his next start, how long he's going to go. And it's just, it drives me nuts. And then, yeah, Freddie Peralta, is he going to get shut down? Is he not? Is he? Ah, anyway, if DeGrom is healthy, he's the number one. I can't put him at number one because of this. So, I give that to Garrett Cole. Um, it's just the safest. Like, you know this. You know he's going to be that. Um, I'd probably say too, and I, I, I'm sure you're not, but maybe you're writing this down like, okay, cool. I got the sneak peek of Nick Pollock's top 100. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, at two, I'm tempted to do Scherzer, but you can't do Scherzer, sadly. Uh, he's my why, number why one wait, now. Wait, why, why, why can't he be number two? You can't do Scherzer number two. Why not? Because I, just like DeGrom, he's not going to get the same amount of innings to say Woodruff or Bueller. So there's a, there's a pretty interesting thing that Ian Khan threw out on Tuesday on the show, and he said... You know, what if Max Scherzer's the modern day Nolan Ryan? I kind of had the the light bulb huh. moment go, huh? And that's like, cool. This is, this is the one moment where I'll I'll even bring up football. But what? Like think about <laughs> think about how weirdly Tom Brady has aged. Like right. there's not there's no reason why Scherzer or Garrett Cole or any pitcher in the pool, Verlander coming off of Tommy John. There's no reason why we couldn't have a pitcher in the modern era pitch into his earlier mid 40s like the more you think about it the more you can start to talk yourself into it and then if you said talk yourself into one guy pitching effectively until he's 44 years old max scherzer's the guy and maybe it's because i'm high on all the pieces that people are writing about him after hitting the 3,000 strikeout milestone but that man is maniacal about the way he trains (laughs) and 
I've I've been kind of wrong about him in the sense that I've always wanted to push him back into the mid or late part of, of round two, kind of back at the top twenty five. He's older, and oh, it's all going to slow down. It's not. This is the best he's ever been right now, and I'm I'm yeah. trying to just say like. If we like Cole as number one, and Cole's not actually maybe the best pitcher in the league right now, it probably is Corbin Burns, right? If we're if we're like, who is the literal best pitcher who's healthy right now? It's Burns. But if we pull back and we say, we want Cole in that spot because Cole's, it's kind of like the trout at number one thing for so long. Well, right, who's most exactly. likely to finish top five? Well, Cole's probably a little more likely than Burns to finish top five again. If we're using that sort of logic, I think you can put Scherzer too. If you want to put Scherzer number two, you can put Scherzer number two. Yeah, this is a really good argument, um, but that's a that's a possibility of like, what if he's Nolan Ryan? And that would be the, I would be so happy if he was. But I have to still go with history of you get older, you get more, uh, you know, you get more innings on that arm. It's a game of attrition. I mean, Not to say that Scherzer has missed starts this year. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like he's been invulnerable. Um, it's just going to get more and more. Um, so I mean, the six for me. Yeah, is is Cole and uh, Cole's at one. I probably will put. Oh, I don't. I mean, it's got to be. De- I don't know. It's some mix of like Degrom and Burns and Woodruff and Scherzer and Bueller and Wheeler. That that that's what it is. It, it, it's it's whatever order you want of those guys. Probably Wheeler last. That's my inclination right now. But I love Zach Wheeler with all my heart. I remember. I remember uh, Tout Wars with you. You know I. You you were watching, you were doing the live stream. I came back in. I was like, I got Wheeler. And you're like, are you okay with that? I was like, I think so. I don't know. <laughs> he was my like 25th starter or something like that to pay over $20, which I think I overpaid for at the time. But it worked, you know. Um, and I have I have a soft spot for him. And also, Zach Wheeler 2.0, which is Sandy Alcatarix. I will mention him as many times as I possibly can on this podcast because I love him <laughs> so much. Oh, the, he's so uh, wonderful. So I agree with that group, by the way, just to kind of hone back in on that list. I think you can argue in almost in any order. Cole, I think Walker Bueller's in there. I think Scherzer's in there. Burns and Woodruff are in there. Wheeler could have a spot in there. That's six names already. Right. A healthy DeGrom maybe creeps into the top five. I'm not really expecting that, though. I think he's just on the outside looking in because even if we saw him pitch again before the end of the season, there's still a cloud over him as far Massive as the possibility yeah. of, a, of another setback. Like it there's a tear like it whether it healed itself or not i, I don't that's think the wrong that's how sandy. it works when i say i love sandy i don't mean that one i mean i'm not, gonna, yeah, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna cut it and make it seem like it's, <laughs> it's him I, all right so any order is fine the only right. guy in that group that i saw something about recently that gave me a little bit of pause i was messing around with the sierra leaderboards and walker bueller he beats the sierra all bueller. the time yeah his k and his k rates down a little bit too and his spin rates all got kind of funky with the crackdown. Like he's still pitching really well. I'm just wondering if any of that stuff should actually matter to us. That's a great question. Um, I have a feeling, and I know this is something that I need to do more research on. And I'm so sorry to ever say I have a feeling. Uh, <laughs> it that essentially Bueller with his with his heater does a really good job at suppressing hard contact. He he he's so good at dominating the zone with the pitch. And there are times when the slider shows up, the cutter shows up, curveball change up. He has all these tools. But at the end of the day, it's a fastball-focused approach. And in general, when you are a a starter that doesn't have that overwhelming whiff pitch, for example, Cole has an amazing fastball, but that slider is, we all know, that's an amazing offering. 
or uh, you know, Burns has his slider at the end of his cutter. Uh, but generally, we do see a small step down from strikeout rates because of that, because they are reliant on it. Woodruff is kind of weird. Uh, Woodruff is performing a little bit higher in the strikeouts than I would expect because he is so four-seamer-focused. Um, and the, the, the slider and changeup aren't as you know overwhelming elite as his uh, contemporaries. But um, with Bueller, I think that's part of the reason. I mean, you can also make an argument that the Dodgers' defense generally is above average, too. I, I love the fact that he just goes seven innings, like, every single start. And I find myself, like, a, I don't know, maybe it's me with age. I, I become more in the whole, like, volume approach. Like, I want guys that can go out there and just give me a good 6-7, you know? <laughs> and it's and maybe it's because we've just been seeing so many starters go five now. You know, five and, and change that when you have your Wheeler types, your Bueller and your Woodruff that can constantly go six, seven innings. Uh, I need to elevate them a bit. That's why I was a, I've been a big fan of Lance Lynn. He just goes out there and they need to tear the ball away from him. Even though nowadays it's actually closer to five and six because he's too inefficient, but that's, that's another story. Um, yeah. Bueller is the weird one. Uh, the good news I think is the wheels are finally, the training wheels are off finally for Bueller. We've re- we've reached it. You know, it's so we wait so long with Dodgers pitchers. We haven't gotten there with Urias, and he came up in like 2014 or something. You know, we've been waiting ages for so many of these pitchers to just say, okay, yeah, go to- throw 200 innings. Who cares? Bueller is fully there now, um, and that really is a nice nice check mark uh, for him. So yeah, he's in that grouping. He doesn't have the 35% strikeout upside as others, but he's as sturdy as he gets. Yeah, Urias, I think, is at that point now, too. 168 in the third innings as we speak today. So with the playoff Urias. innings, you 200 it. innings probably by the yeah. end of the year, which, I mean, people are going to say, well, that's a lot more than you threw in 2020. Well, it's a lot more than everyone threw <laughs> in 2020. So, you know, that that whole, that yeah, whole conversation is going to be silly. That was so interesting. I mean, in the preseason, we were thinking like no one was going to throw more than 180, essentially, right? Like they were like going to be fine. And, and for the most part, Teams have just kind of thrown it to the wayside, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I wonder what teams were looking for in players other than an actual injury where they couldn't pitch. If they were looking right. for a drop in velo or something in loss of spin, whatever it might have been, that would have been a, a red flag for them. But yeah, I mean, Zach Wheeler's going to get to 200. Wainwright with a couple more starts should get Wainwright. there. Sandy's probably going to get there. Wheeler's going to get there. Where oh, does God. Wainwright like, go? If, that's, if, the that's Cardinals, one. if the Cardinals find their way into the playoffs, which... They'd be in if the season ended today, right? If they find their way in and they somehow win the World Series, he retires. He oh, that would be on so top. great. Oh, I would and be so happy for him. Otherwise, he comes back on a one-year deal with St. Louis again, probably runs it back one more time because he pitched so well. Right. I don't know. Would he be even a steady top 200 overall pick? Oh, you you would have to think so. I mean... I think he would be, but look at how people treated him coming into this season. Oh yeah, but I would I would take him I would take Wayne Wright above, say, Tristan McKenzie, for example. Really? Yes. Yeah. Because I would I would the first week mm. of the season. Like like this is a point I, I I'm going to make later on again. So get used to this. I'm gonna make this like every single podcast I go on forever now. Is we really need to understand uh, how much movement we have on our teams through the season. And, and we have to plan for it in our drafts. We do not do this enough. We we treat it like it's a best ball draft. 
And it's not. That's the biggest myth in fantasy baseball. So we have to plan. So out of the gate, April, who are your guys? Who are you starting this week? Are you feeling good with them? Wainwright, if it's, yeah, Wainwright, I'm probably going to start if he's pitching in his first start of the year. I'm going to feel fine with it. If he doesn't do well in the first and second start, then he's gone. And that's, oh, that's freeing. That's a good thing. Because then I can find my Robbie Ray. I can find my Carlos Rodon that were not drafted. And the amount of guys that went undrafted. This is the thing I had to get on my phone. I'm staring into it. I don't care. These were past 300. And I put this tweet out on May 10th. So this has already changed completely from them in a good way. Trevor Rogers, Waskari Noah, Carlos Rodon. Danny Duffy was absurdly good and helped your teams. J.D. Brubaker, also known as Coffee Cakes, was absurdly good. Cal Gibson. Cakes. Went on the first <laughs> first three months. Tyler Anderson was excellent. Alex Wood, Anthony Descafani, Dylan Cease, Adam Wainwright, Shane McClanahan. Later on, I mean, Patrick Sandoval is a good one. You know, you picked up Tristan McKenzie. Uh, there are even more than I, I'm, I'm forgetting now. But it's like there are so many legitimate starters you find in season. And we need a plan around that. We need it. This is why I go against the hipsters thing, right? The headache-inducing starting pitchers that stifle the entire roster because you don't get to do that. You ha- you've all of a sudden feel inclined and locked into your, your roster and you see these Cy Young winners go and win leagues for other people. So Wainwright is the perfect guy of like, oh yeah, I'll take him on my team the first two weeks and I won't have any guilt dropping him for someone else. Yeah, well, I think you still might get a pretty good discount on him because of the age, because of the lack of Ks. I think people will tend to bet against him more than they probably should. I want to ask you, when we've spoken previously about roster construction, and you've kind of just hinted at this a little bit with that that list of pitchers, you've emphasized waiting on pitching. And part of that's your ability to find value in the middle and late rounds on draft day, your willingness to churn those pitchers when you see things on the waiver wire. Are you finding as you play it, more leagues out is that working well enough to where you've been able to keep with that approach or do you think you still even with that ability even with that being a strength do you still feel like you need to invest at least in one early round pitcher you know in the first three or four rounds because i think previously you kind of stayed away from really early pitching have you had to change your approach at all no uh (laughs) i mean um i was going to say like here we are debating the first seven stars but i'm not getting any of these (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't care. I mean, they're great. I'm so happy for them, and I will watch them and be as enthusiastic, but I won't draft them. Uh, this is, uh, oh, Alec Manoa, add him to the list. Uh, Logan Webb that we talked about as well. I, as I can keep, we can keep going with this. Luis Garcia. Um, but it, it's really nuts. It's just so nuts how many there are. But no, I, it's there is a certain um, philosophy that I was going for last year that I feel still good about. It probably will be around the same way. But you need to have four starters that you feel like you'll be holding on to. You know, that you feel that every single time they go out there, they're going to be competitive and you're going to feel good rostering them through the season. Uh, so Sandy Alcantara was one of them that isn't for this year for me. I was like, I know that I'm going to, he's going to go 180 innings or whatever it is. And I'm going to feel good about him. Not this good. I didn't expect to be this, but I felt like, okay, yeah, I'm not going to have to churn him. Um, that's how I feel about roster construction. And, I mean, yeah, again, Patrick Sandoval, the Irish panda himself, <laughs> like he was so absurdly good. And that was that just out of nowhere. 
you know, and I understand the argument for people saying like, well, how do you know which ones are going to be good and which ones are going to be bad? And you can't depend on getting all of them. You absolutely will not get all of them. But all you need is like two or three, right? And I listed off like, I don't know, 15 that were that were doing this, not to mention all the ones that come and go along the way. Cal Quantrill we were just talking about too. Um, I mean, I really, it just keeps on going. And, you know, even Cesar Hernandez for a bit outside of getting blown up yesterday, but that was, that was helpful for a lot of it. Um, it, it's, it's kind of nuts. So if you just, yes, my skill set speaks to this because I have to literally write about every single starter every single night so I can be <laughs> you know, aware of it and make those picks uh, and plays. But I, I don't know for me, I mean, that's just what has worked and, I would so much rather spend capital on on hitters because hitters you don't know like it takes so much longer to figure it out like the season of a starting pitcher let's say you make thirty starts in one hundred and eighty days right that's essentially the game the season that means you get every every start that counts for six days of hitting right it, it's 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 just so much more dense it's just denser and an easier way for us to translate it. Uh, that I don't want to deal with that with those cardboard cutouts that are hitters. So I just I, I spend all of that as much as I can. I, I hope for the best. You know, that's if I win or lose a league, it's because of the hitters I got and not the pitchers. Because the pitchers will always find out, you know, figure their way. But if I happen to draft Mike Trout in Tout Wars, then well, uh, you know, I thought I thought he was the secret code. Like his name is Tout inside of it. You know, yeah, it does. Like <laughs> I, I that's uh, that's what they told me. <laughs> That, so that didn't that's work, just, but yeah, that's just a bad beat. Like Trump well, no, going down. Like that's a lot of people luck. had Acuna in everything. You know, there yeah. are a lot of bad beats. I'm not gonna say that that's the only reason why I lost out. But I, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's like that's what I'm getting at. Is I, I will stand stand by this. And I think more so than ever now. Like entering this year, people said, "Oh, it's shallow. I have to get one of those guys or something like that." You know, and it's the same philosophy. No, no, you just gotta get four of them. Don't worry, there'll be stuff. You gotta have confidence in that. And now we're entering and we're talking about like the depth being so massive, right? And that's generally how it goes every year. Uh, is that it, when it's shallow, it becomes deep. When it comes deep, you, 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 some excel up, you know, to the top of it. Then we feel like it's more shallow again. But uh, yeah, it, it works for me. Just, just read the roundup, guys. Read the SP roundup on PitcherList every single day and you can do this too. Yeah, I mean, it's a great resource because if, uh, especially if you don't have a chance, like I'm, my routine at its best is I get to watch quick pitch. So any games I didn't get to watch, I get to watch all the highlights, kind of condensed into one hour. But if I don't get to do that, reading the roundup, that like you're you're my eyes in that situation. Like what yes. was really going on? Like that's, so, that's the most touching thing you've ever said to me. I will be your eyes any day, Derek. Any day. <laughs> do you get time for one more question? I oh, got one more for you. I know we've been going for about an hour already, so. So I wonder about this as someone who is kind of in the, I guess I'm middle-aged. Is that the group that I'm in? I mean, I'm 37, Nick. Is that, you're about the same age as oh, me, no. right? Oh, no. No, we are, we are pre-middle age. Elder millennials, I think, is the, the preferred term. Elder <laughs> oh, millennials. great. So I, I try to think about fantasy baseball in the long term, and, and part of the reason why a lot of people in this business tend to focus on football this time of year is because football pays the bills. Like baseball is the thing they might love more. Football pays the bills and keeps the lights on. So I like I get it. At the same time, I don't want to be the kind of person who gets older and older and refuses to accept change in the way we play or think about 
fantasy baseball or I don't want to be the kind of person that says it's got to be a five by five league and there have to be two catchers and we're keeping average and we're not using OBP. I don't like that. That's, that's, that's rigid. So let's make group. We're going to call this group the Association of Fantasy Baseball Lovers. I'm going to make you the president. You're a very affable person. And you've got a group of people you're going to work on all these things with trying to solve these kinds of problems. Your goal is to double the number of people playing fantasy baseball by 2030. That's not playing five by five roto. It's not playing high stakes. That's just playing fantasy baseball in some form. If you're running AFBL, what is your first step toward reaching that goal? AFBL. Oh, man. AFBL. I, I love it's it. It's a better acronym. Oh, no. Well, AFBL is good. You know, we're just going to. I work on the cocktails of uh, of Apple, of course. You know, it's kind of like uh, Hartford and Harvard. Um, that's Afbol. Um, anyway, Afbol is great, and so is Hartford. So it works perfectly. Um, anyway, I would I would do a couple things. Um, one, I would work as hard as I could to make fantasy sports ingrained with MLB uh, in the first place. It shocks me. It is the most surprising thing ever that MLB doesn't have the best fantasy baseball service. Uh, because if you want to talk about like trying to get your fans into your game, make another game about your game. <laughs> like, yeah. that, are, are you kidding? Get a way for people to get into it. And you don't have to make it, don't make it like DFS. You don't need to make actual money and stuff. Just like, hey, this is a fun thing that we're doing. And I know that they tried it for a moment, but they didn't like go for it. Uh, and, and this is an issue I, I have immensely with it. What? Tell me right now, Derek. And I know you. I don't know if you could say one because you don't want to be aligned with one. And I get it. But of all the fantasy baseball services, and I'm going to say that there are five of them. There's Fantrax. There's ESPN. There's CBS. There's Yahoo. And then there's an NFBC client, right? Yep. Uh, which is the best one? I think the NFBC's current version is by far the easiest to use. Interesting. Like it is, it is, to me, it's it's the most logical. I would say Fab is one of those things that no site has ever perfected. Right. I think of all the sites I've played on, RT Sports might actually have the most intuitive Fab. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. But there's, there's not really much else that I find in their platform that I would say, like, I'm making the best platform, Frankensteining everything together. That's probably the only thing they have right now that I would think about like pulling over from their site. Sure. So I would say if you said pick one that does the most things well, it's the NFBC platform. And mm. that's made for they're doing a much better job with smaller stakes entry fees, trying to make things more broadly appealing. That's part of our future. It has to be. It's still not it needs to be that good when you're playing on a CBS or a Yahoo or an ESPN because that's where people play their football leagues. Exactly. And I'm with you. Like NFL.com runs fantasy leagues. They run commercials to play your fantasy league on NFL.com. They have red during zone NFL where games. they're talking about their fantasy, the best fantasy plays of the week and everything. It's ingrained. Yeah. When you think of watching football, you think of playing fantasy football. Yeah. You know, and you have so many baseball fans that all they want to do is just have ways to cheer for your teams. And the second part of it is, yeah, you need to have MLB promoting it. But yeah, the game itself, we have to change it. Uh, if we want it to actually be appealing, there are two reasons why people play, fo play football. It's once a week and it's super casual and easy, right? It's like, that's it. You don't have to worry about it. You do this thing and it's done. You have daily leagues. Daily leagues to me are still too intense. It happens for so long of six months. I uh, What I would do is I would 
I mean, there's so many different kinds of games you can create. I think creating that flexibility is such an important thing for people to find the thing that they want. I, in my head, I've always kind of dreamed of a scenario where it is like DFS, but it's just a weekly one. And it's your league where literally it's your weekly DFS game against other people inside your fantasy league where you get to literally just select the players that you want. Or you can do it as its own mini draft if you want every week because everyone knows the best part of drafting of fantasy baseball is drafting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can even just say, cool, on a, on a weekly basis, I'll have like a new team of five guys and those are mine versus his five or whatever. I mean, there are so many different ways you can simplify this sport. You can also do it by month. I've heard, I've heard of this with uh, some leagues where they literally have a different game every month. I, that, that kind of stuff feels so weird. And like, how can that ever be fun? Because we know this sport and we love it so much. Um, but that can be great too. And the last thing I would say is the more that we can normalize stats, I know it sounds crazy and a pipe dream. I, but the more comfortable we get with understanding what FIP is and, uh, K percentage and CSW, um, is better. And I think that we are getting there. You know, fantasy baseball was a place of just that's where the nerds lived. But uh, us nerds are actually becoming cool now, I like to think. Good old elderly (laughs) millennials changing the scope of things. But, uh, I mean, I I do believe that people now are comfortable with statistics, much more so than they used to be. And over time, that will get better and better and better. And then our assessments, people are going to want to actually, like, use, you know, look at stats and make their own assessments and actually, you know, do something about it. And that is what fantasy baseball is. So the more normalized it gets, the better that will get. Um, but yeah, it, it's not easy. It, it's really, really hard. And I don't think it's ever going to be solved, sadly. But that's okay. That's all right. I just think it requires a, a joint effort. I mean, the league needs to be a big Without part a of doubt. it. And I, I think it, it, it requires a lot of, of creativity and flexibility with what the game looks like. It might not look like the leagues we've played in so far. And we have to be cool with that. And I, I think when I started doing this, I always thought, oh, anything less than a 12-team league, what are you doing? Like, I, Sporer calls it league shaming. I, I'm guilty of doing that to people. I obviously don't do it anymore because I realized I was being a total <laughs> about it. But like the think think of different ways to play think about home run derby leagues think about yeah. strikeout pools like you don't you don't have to make it complicated i do think seeing more advanced stats on, on scoreboards and around the different signage in the stadiums it, that helps you see it more yeah. in broadcast now like we're the the basic fan has been much more immersed in the things we've all been looking at on fan graphs for the last decade like i think that that's a good thing but Rather than you know constantly finding ways to monetize every last corner of everything, you could also still try and monetize this too along the way. I think that has to be part of why would MLB be interested? Well, you're going to keep people watching games, yes. so you can sell that crypto and all that, all those all those partnerships, all those deals you have. You're going to sell. You're going to make more on the ads for all that crazy stuff you've been doing. You're going to make more on that because people are more engaged with your product. Like that's Absolutely. that's to me what this is. It's an engagement tool. And you know, I've been thinking about this a lot. Is I certainly draft guys because I watch them more and I just fall for them. You know, it, it's so exciting having. I mean, yeah, as I said before, Sandy Alcantara. I had to draft him everywhere because I just enjoyed watching him so much. I uh, and that's not a thing that's unique to me. You know, people fall for players and they just say, "Oh, I just that's my guy. I got to get my guy." You know, and the more that we can thrust these players into the limelight and understand like why we enjoy them, 
you know, what's really cool about them, I the better, you know? And I, I will say, I think MLB doesn't quite do the best job at really translating to a casual, like, not a baseball fan, why we love it. You know, they show these moments, but they're kind of like, this is, is this a moment? Why do we like this moment? You know, what is it about the skill that's going on? And I will say, I mean, yeah, Rob Freeman and Pitching Ninja is helping. That is, oh my God, it's so great. It's so great. That is such a huge passion of mine, you know, and sharing these gifts. Uh, yeah, that's why I started Pitcher Gifts back in 2014 was, yeah, I want you guys to see these nasty things. And the fact that Freeman House has like 330,000 Twitter followers, whatever it is, that's awesome. That's more people recognizing, oh yeah, this is what's cool. I get it now. I get like the, that's really stupid hard to hit. And it, it's it's impressive as anything to make the pitch do that. So the more we can thrust that in front of people and, and share that enthusiasm, I think it just naturally goes to fantasy baseball as well. Yeah, I think the other problem that baseball has before we, we go on promises isn't going to be like an no, hour our, on this, this topic is the best or anything. time ever, Derek. I'm in a I, rush. I, I just think that if you find ways to kind of tell people, hey, look, it's okay to root for players that aren't on your favorite team. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like for baseball fans in particular, that's a hard thing. I feel like that's for football, really and for basketball, and even for hockey in some ways, star players stand out in a different sort of way. It almost feels like a betrayal in, in baseball somehow. Like, if you're a fan of any other team in the NL, but you also really like Ronald Acuna or Fernando Tatis, like something's wrong. It's like, no, yeah. no, nothing's wrong. It's okay to like really enjoy other players on other teams and to almost root for players more than you even root for teams. Like that's that, not a bad mindset to have. That's what's happened to me. You know, there it was at Fenway Park. I'm a Yankee fan. Grew up uh, in Brooklyn. I wanted to be happy in life when I was five. So I was a Yankee fan. Smart kid. Good choice. Yeah. I love, I love five-year-old me. Uh, I went to Fenway Park for the first time, Pitcherless Meetup, about a month ago. And it just happened to be Chris Sale's uh, season debut, right? Um, and here it was, first inning, two strikes, two outs, 0-2. And I looked around and no one was standing. I couldn't believe it. So I stood up, a Yankee fan, stood up cheering my butt off because that's what it should be. This is Chris Sale coming back. I was like, Red Sox fans, this is your savior. Like, this is what this man deserves, and I will always do that. I will, like, it's pitcher first for me now. Um, that I understand that is a, a unique thing, and you're 100% right. The fact that, like, on a Sunday, you know, the Jets have played, and the 4 o'clock game is going on, and people will watch Arizona versus the Texans or whatever. Like, a, a random person in New York will watch that. Are you kidding me? Are you thinking that anyone here is going to watch the Diamondbacks versus the Rangers? Like not not a chance if that is in baseball, right? And there you're totally right. You're hitting the nail on the head that it's it's centralized uh, on the um, on the region, and you, people don't expand out of it. There is that hardened loyalty that not to say there aren't NFL fans of loyalty, but there isn't this interest to even extend out of it, you know. And hopefully, slowly and steadily, we remove ourselves from that. Sadly, part of the problem is that fancy baseball is what gets you out of it, but. Being out of it allows you to play fantasy baseball. It's a circle that doesn't quite work. Well, yeah, I, I think we've got some some good ideas here that we can build off of, and hopefully it's something we will see change over time because I think it's possible, and I think if there's effort put into it especially, we can shape the way the future of fantasy baseball looks for the better. If we don't really put collective effort into it, I think it's going to look really similar 10 years from now to the way it looks right now. And I don't think that's necessarily the best thing for the long-term health of what we all do. The, the last thing I will say 
is that I think it's ultimately going to be on people like you and me, where it's on content creators to really encourage it. You know, it's going to be with any sort of uh, entertainment item. I don't know what uh, IP there. Are, it's really reliant on the marketing of the people that cover it. Uh, and, you know, baseball is very strange. I feel like there is less innate content creation on like YouTube and, and social media for baseball than there are basketball or football. And I mean, I mean, I, I looked at the football market, fantasy football market, and it's, oh my God, there's so much. It's a there's lot so much. of overlap I mean, QB List does a great job. They're doing a wonderful job. Uh, it's the only thing of fantasy football I mentioned, but I, I mean, I can't even imagine jumping into that space now. But with baseball, I feel like anytime someone else, some site starts up and they're like, do it for a half a season or whatever, everyone knows. We're like, oh, hey, there's another, oh, come on in. You know, this is great. And it, I think it's ultimately going to be on us to, you know, to to say like, hey, get big enough, have that large enough voice, not just the fantasy baseball people, but the baseball creators to say that we, you know, there is a new game being played that everyone wants. That's not DFS and money. It's about, no, it's just like we love baseball and we want to play this game because we like sp- sports. The show has a huge following, for example, and that's kind of the same thing. Yeah, uh, it's like we there's this crossover. We're just not quite hitting it. We're we're not like they're video gamers, but they're not nerds. Which I mean, but okay, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I get it. But we can get there. You know, the possibility is there. And uh, yeah, it's going to be on the content creators, I think, to really say like, hey, this is what cool kids are doing. Come on in. It's the water's fine. So hopefully, we can get there. I hope so. Uh, Nick, before we go, I know you talked a lot about what you do at the top of the show, but let our listeners know what the, what's the easiest way to find you and to begin following and consuming all the great oh, content man. you're making. There's a lot. Uh, just just go to pitchos.com. Uh, it has everything you need for fantasy baseball. We have a lot of great baseball articles as well. Um, an amazing team there. I personally cover every starting pitcher every night with a MSB roundup. I do a video Monday through Friday doing a breakdown like the Freddie Peralta one. Definitely go check that out at youtube.com slash pitcher list. I stream every morning as well, 9 to 11 a.m. Uh, Twitch.tv slash pitcher list. Uh, Twitter at pitcher list. Just, just pitcher list. That's all you need to know. It's on everything. Come on, hang out. We'll talk pitching. Uh, criticize me. I'll help your teams. All that stuff. <laughs> I, I, I just want to talk about this stuff for as long as I can. So come on by. Well, I really appreciate all the time today, Nick. Always great catching up with you. And uh, you're one of my favorite people in this community. I got a lot of favorite people in this community, but uh, you're one of those people. I love catching up with you every time we get the chance to do it. Oh, you're the best, DVR. No, really. Thank you so much. It's it's intimidating every single time because I know I do not have the voice that you have. Um, It's just, I I don't know how I was able to get through this, uh, trying to be an equal to it in any way. But no, really, thank you so much for bringing me on to this. Uh, and yeah, hopefully I get to see you soon. Uh, I think it's in, a, it's in a month or so. Uh, I don't know if you're going to go to Arizona or not. I will be there. But uh, looking forward to that a lot. And really, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, first pitch Arizona coming up. I am currently not lined up to attend. If that changes, I'll, of course, no, make an I'm, announcement. I'm not going but- now. I'm well, not going out, Derek. Everyone everyone who can go should go. Check it out at Baseball HQ. They do a great job at that event. It's uh, being surrounded by other people who love baseball and fantasy baseball. And you know, hopefully Fall League is off and running too. I think there's still no schedule for that. So maybe there's a little bit of like lingering concern about Fall League actually happening. But still going to be a lot of awesome people getting together 
and talking baseball. So be sure to check that out. That is going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We are back with you on Sunday.